This is the Laughing Mind Podcast. And now your host, Ethan Tuxel. And welcome back to the third episode of the Laughing Mind Podcast. I am your host, Ethan Tuxel, and I'm so pumped you guys are listening. Today is going to be a solo episode. And if you're new, the Laughing Mind podcast is a mental health comedy podcast looking at these two worlds and how they intersect, how they affect each other, and pulling out different wisdom and different experiences from both. So when I do solo episodes, it's going to be a shorter episode. I wanted to to make it a little bit more palatable and I feel like talking for an hour is a little bit too much. So anyway, we're going to dive into that today and we're going to be kind of keeping with the pattern of going down deep and then kind of coming up for air with the laughter and the silliness and the hee hees and the ho hoes. So hang on to your hats and grab onto your bats because we're diving in. Today we're going to be talking about unacceptable truths and specifically unacceptable truths that are said on the comedy stage and in the therapy room and how both can help us move towards psychological integration. And I'll talk more about what that means. But first, saying the truth out loud in the presence of another human being has immense power. Simply knowing it, but keeping it to yourself often isn't enough because our minds are so cunning and have the ability to deny things, justify, invalidate, and and almost hide things from ourselves that we would be better off shining a light on. And this is really a self-protective mechanism that our ego is very fond of and when there is something that would disrupt the system that the homeostasis that we have going on often you can even kind of watch your thoughts navigate down that path sometimes and that's why verbalizing it and it actually uses a different part of your brain when you take language from within yourself and you speak it out of your mouth that has power in the presence of someone else. So comedians are often the people in our society who say things that no one else is willing to, which I think is so relieving. And when we laugh, it's a collective form of agreement at what they're saying in some form. Things we as individuals and as a society often aren't willing to say to ourselves. And I think that's a huge reason that we love comedy, especially stand-up comedy, because we're almost saying to these comedians, like, you say the thing I'm not willing to say, and you can make me laugh while you're saying it. I want to talk about Ali Wong. If you guys don't know who Ali Wong is, she is an amazing stand-up comic. She's an actor. She is a writer. She is an incredible communicator, and she's she's just dynamite on stage. Her presence is unbelievable. She has a lot of specials on Netflix. One in particular that I've seen is called Baby Cobra. And uh, Ali Wong 
throughout the set goes into great detail about the process of childbirth and she gets down and dirty none of that tv 14 nonsense that's like you know it's like it's a little gross it's like a teeny tiny bit messy but oh my god it's just so beautiful and transcendent and you just you're so connected no 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 she blows your doors off at one point she's explaining how during childbirth you are going to shit your brains out and 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 the doctor might actually ask your partner in in her case her husband to hold your leg up in the air and it acts like a soft serve ice cream lever so you blow ass before you give birth <laughs> and i'm not changing her words or editorializing she says blow ass <laughs> Oh man, and and maybe part of that laugh, maybe part of the joke is sort of shock value, but I think that part of what makes Ali Wong a top shelf comedian is so so good is her ability to say what we can't say, and culturally what we're told saying is wrong or improper, and it, when you watch the crowd gets this massive release by getting to hear and experience that in a room around other people this thing that would typically be seen as shameful or gross or weird we the entire crowd in that room and also you at home get to experience this release of yes that is that is real uh and that's one of the best gifts that comedians give us so i i i want to kind of tease out this concept of comedians being what I think are the closest thing we have to modern day prophets. So prophets, back in biblical times, prophets were individuals chosen and set apart by the Judeo-Christian God. And they had a very specific job. Their job was not fun. It was not something that you would be in the front of the line trying to you know get in front of your friends be like i god give me that stuff they can get the other stuff no 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 this job was terrible because what they would do is they would look at all the ways a society or a group of people were taking just a dirty mud bath and sin just lapping up the devil's dirty deeds instead of getting in line with what was considered god's holy way the 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 true way to be living a holy life. Kind of like this hybrid between a social media warrior who knows exactly how you personally are responsible for ruining America, and that mixed with like a middle school dance chaperone who's, you know, a little too excited to be there, but but also with the authority of the almighty God behind them. Kind of like, you're bad, you guys are gross, you shameful little hamster wheel of hormones and hoagies stop it split up and separate go take a cold shower and i want you to stare into the mirror for five minutes until you hit rock bottom prophets were not popular people and i think it's pretty clear why this role saying the thing that no one else wants to say or even hear speaking the truth that is humming underneath translates to modern day comedians I, and personally i think it cuts across all types of comedy 
but more than any other medium, it shows up in stand-up comedy. Making us laugh while you tell us what we normally wouldn't want to say ourselves is one of the only ways people can tolerate that, can find that level of, of truth palatable. Because Alec Wong, when she said that, was literally ripping something apart. And she's saying the thing that so many people want to say, want to be able to, to hear, but feel like they can't. And saying it in the presence of other people, of a captive audience, gives them the permission to not only agree, but maybe even say it themselves and redefine something in their own lives. Because... Because instead of putting on this visage, this veneer, this other third V word, taking yourself so seriously and getting defensive and digging your nails in deeper into this bullshit story we're propping up, they're helping us to see how absurd we are and to take ourselves more lightly. I mean, honestly, how crazy is it that we still pretend women don't blow ass during childbirth and who who are we helping by pretending we end up more disconnected from each other when we do this when we when we per perpetuate a myth about something like that so lighten up and grab a leg and squeeze out a large cone in that delivery room brother not not one of those tiny-ass McDonald's corporate cones that's, like, barely an inch tall. I, I actually knew a guy in college who was lactose intolerant but told me once that McDonald's cones are so far from the dairy family that he could eat them, and they wouldn't have any effect on his stomach. It was totally fine. So I think that's fun. But anywho, Get in that room, and, and I'm talking about making a large cone. That's actually really an extra large, you know, but, but they say it's a large. And from that ice cream stand near you that hasn't changed its clip art bullshit marketing scheme since the day Johnny Tsunami came out. You guys know that? You know Johnny Tsunami? That was a Disney original flick from 2000, who knows? But, but that, that is the reality of the situation. So I'm harping on women who are giving birth shitting a little bit too much. So let's let's switch up the metaphor. Um, Dave Chappelle, the real Dave Chappelle, the actual guy who, you know, who, who is, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to the last episode. But Dave Chappelle has been talking about racism and racial violence, especially racial violence and police violence against black men for decades. In my opinion... He is one of the most, if not the most talented and prolific stand-up comedian of our lifetime. And he consistently makes jokes about a subject that is divisive and uncomfortable for our country. And thank God that he does. And if you've ever, see, if you've ever seen him do stand-up, he looks so comfortable and relaxed on stage. And it's amazing that he is going after these complicated nuanced and really really uncomfortable topics usually in mixed crowds and he he's he's just having fun in his 2018 austin special deep in the heart of texas he told this story 
of filing a police report. He lives in, in Ohio and he was in his hometown and there were some white teenagers in a car who were throwing snowballs, snowballs at him and yelled a racial slur. There were other people who lived in town that were white, who, who were nearby, who saw it happen. And they, they filed a police report and the cops came and asked Dave Chappelle later if he wanted to press charges. And, and he said, like, huh? Sorry, sorry about that, officer. I'm a little flustered. Uh, I've never been in a position where I can decide the fate of white children. That is a perfect joke. That is the type of joke a prophet tells. It rips through the narrative that our country is perfectly fine, that justice for all people occurs on the same level, that there's not a massive racial divide and systemic racism, that that's just a media hoax. He, he tears it right in half and he makes us laugh while he's doing it. Right now, let's zoom back to your world a little bit. Think about your social group, the people that you spend the most time with. You guys probably agree about a lot of things and have many overlapping opinions. In the Venn diagram of your opinions, you have probably more overlap than not. And that's pretty normal. That's kind of the way humans congregate. But what opinion do you have that you know would set off some fireworks if you brought it up with that group? I'll tell you what mine is. Mine is usually about the imbalance I feel of how you can both be a feminist and also who wants gender equality, who wants equal pay and all those things. And you, but, but you also, you want a big ass diamond and you want to be proposed to, and you want to make the wedding all about you and have sexy photos of you looking at the camera while your fiance looks at you because it's all about you. Where the hell is my ring? I want to feel beautiful. I want to feel attractive. I want to feel desirable in this body with people checking out my legs as my lady stares at me. That is empowerment. <laughs> Do you feel that tension right there? Do you feel your ass cheeks kind of tightening? Well, my lady in the wings, my girlfriend Morgan does too. And, and you know, uh, there's more to say about that. But in groups, we learn what is acceptable and what isn't. And we tend to stick pretty closely to the line of what's in bounds because it keeps the system humming. So this dynamic of having narratives and beliefs and rules that must not be broken at all cost, it also happens to us as individuals within ourselves. And this is where therapy comes in. This is like kind of the psychology of this. So therapy can be this sacred space where you can say the things you can't say anywhere else. And I've, I've done a joke on stage before that the only reason I got into therapy was because I wanted to be the person in everyone's life that knew secrets and I was just sick of not getting paid for it. So, um, but, but, but it is true. Ther therapy is this place where you can say the things that it, for whatever reason, feels like there isn't any other space you can. And it can be things that are really hard, things that are maybe too painful to say out loud to someone else. Like, maybe for you in your life, the unacceptable truth is something like this. Whenever my mom calls me and I don't pick up, 
she leaves me a voicemail saying that she's going to kill herself if I don't call her back. And I hate it. And sometimes I even wish that she would just so she would get it over with and I wouldn't have to think about it. And it, and it maybe isn't that extreme. Maybe it's more like I have spent my entire life achieving at the top of my class, always outperforming my peers. And I don't know who I would be if I don't make valedictorian. And that's making me so anxious inside. Everyone has versions of this. There's no one who doesn't have corners within themselves that feel beyond what they can show to the world. And when you're standing, when you're standing on the edge of that truth and you have this space to finally allow it to be spoken, that is a step towards psychological integration because now it's out there. And you can't unlearn that. When you have said something out loud, you can't unlearn that information. And, and now we can do something with it. You've dislodged the dam a little bit. Um, but, but let's not romanticize that because integration and honesty can be as painful as it is freeing. And it's not just this flat, open road once you've said that first thing. It is, it is not that simple. I've had so many moments in my life where I get up to the edge of saying the thing I felt like I couldn't say. And so many times I, I didn't say it. Um, but one time I did that stands out to me. It came about in the past few years. After I graduate, graduated from college, I was going through these years of examining the Christian faith that I grew up with. And and this was well before uh, the pod, the comedy podcast, So Help Me God, that I did, which was a lot about uh, the humor and Christian faith and the, the absurdity and a lot of it, uh, which, you know, really laid out where I stood. This was before all that. And I remember the day where I finally said out loud in a group of people, I'm not a Christian anymore. And I think I need to say that just verbalize that. And to me, this might sound insignificant, um, but to me it was significant because not only did my entire lens of the world and entire community rest and revolve around this faith as a child, but into my adult life, most of my adult relationships were still somehow tied back to Christianity. And it's like, it's like if you grew up in a town where that, that, you know, one local donut shop was your family's business. And everyone in town, they love your family's donut shop. Every day, you wake up at 4 a.m. before school, and you get up and you help dad roll the dough. And if dad's in a good mood that day, he'll let you take a few donuts into school for you and your two best friends, Bradley and Chadley. Just you, Chad, and Brad, munching on a few bear claws before algebra. That seems a little advance for you, but you're a smart guy and bear claws kind of fuel that brain function, baby. And and after school, you have to go back to the shop because it's your job to take all those goddamn plain donuts that no one ate. And who, why are we still making plain donuts as, as people, as donut makers? Because if you have ever eaten a plain donut, you, you've never eaten another one because they're just not good. They're not apple cider donuts. They're not fluffy. They're just boring. And that's why you throw them out every day because no one ever eats them. And why would they? 
And, and then after you have that tirade, you help your parents close up shop. And your whole life revolves around donuts and your whole community sees you through that lens. And so you think, of course you love donuts. Donuts are the best dessert. They're sort of the linchpin, the crux of the sweet bakery dessert item. But after you graduate high school, rather than going into the family business, what everyone expects you to do, you take a risk. You take a year off and you travel to Italy and then you mosey over to France, sweet, sweet France, and you taste your first savory pastry. It's a cheese croissant with tiny little pieces of prosciutto from an unassuming street vendor who barely even acknowledges you, could care less if you eat it or not. Un merchant de rue. And in that first bite, when the crispy filo dough dissolves into your mouth, you realize that you don't like donuts. Maybe at some point you did, but you don't anymore. You and 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 what a moment because you've tasted and now you've seen that there is more, but how can you not like the thing that has really been the unifying factor of your life? When I said that out loud, I'm not a Christian anymore, stepping over that cliff's edge, it felt really good because it was true. And honestly, had it been true for a few years, but the fear that came along with that, which had kept me from saying it for so long, was what, what are the people around me going to think about me? Are, are they going to be worried about me? Are they going to be angry with me? Is this going to be the divide in our friendship that they can't get over? Because I remember feeling that way. I remember feeling like if one of my friends isn't a Christian, then I might not be able to keep being friends with them. How do I do that? And that took me a long time to sort out. Um, there's a comedian, one of my personal favorite all-time comedians, Pete Holmes. He's very talented. He's very goofy. Uh, his laugh is a little high-pitched and annoying after a while, but his he he has really helped me through a lot of things and had a very similar religious spiritual journey. He, he one of his specials, Nice Dry the Devil, he he kind of ends it by saying, I don't know what happens when we die, and I'm so sick of not talking about it. And then he goes on to talk about it. That was such a relief. What a relief to hear someone say that. He said the thing that I for so long couldn't say myself. So to come back around psychological integration. Integration is the coming together of disparate pieces into a whole. Pieces and parts that may even seem to be at odds with one another. Parts that you or others may name as lies or wrong or bad or simply unacceptable. But when Ali Wong rages against this false narrative of women who don't secrete or shit blast, she's helping us to integrate and connect with ourselves and each other. When Dave Chappelle calls out the insane racism that occurs constantly for someone who looks like him. He is helping us as a country and as individuals integrate something that otherwise we call 
unacceptable by not naming it. So look, I mean, like this is a this is I think one of the greatest gifts that comedy and therapy give us. Delight in the fact that we have comedians, brave comedians, who are willing to say what we can't say and what we wish we could say. And you don't have to just let others do that. You can say unacceptable truths too and keep dipping your toe in the process of psychological integration. And let me tell you what, it is a messy and uncomfortable process. I have seen a lot of people at different points of that journey in my work. I have seen people just beginning. I've seen people before they begin. And I've seen people who are deep in the thick of it and are doing hard work, but are so much better off and, and their mental health, their well-being shows that. And let me tell you what, that is the pastry that you deserve. That whew, that sweet, sweet phyllo dough just dissolving in your mouth. So that's it for today. Uh, I hope that that meant something and that, and you know, if that struck a nerve, um, I'd love to hear from you guys. I'm still getting my feet under me social media wise. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, the Laughing Mind podcast. If you guys want to reach out, if you have things that you'd want to hear me talk about, um, please uh, slide into my DMs. I would love to, to see one or two of you guys or three of you gals or four of you, you know, pinto beans. That's nothing. I would love to see a few of you. You just, just slip slide right into my DMs. I would love that. Um, and to be able to connect with you guys. It means so much to me that you guys are listening. I hope that you're enjoying this. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Throw a rating up on wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe a review if you're feeling really sassy. Um, and stay tuned for next episode. We got some really great guests on deck. So uh, thank you so much for listening, and I will certainly see you guys next time.